Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by senior writer Leah Leibovitz. Ahalan wa Yes to that. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Good game Saturday, Mark. Oh, that was harsh. That was stone cold. Stephanie is an alumna of the athletic program at Duke University. It is true they took out my beloved Yale Bulldogs. Your beloved Yale basketball team. <laughs> my <laughs> beloved Yale basketball team. I should say, though, Stephanie, you were sweating it right at the end there, weren't you? It was looking pretty... To be honest, I actually did not watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today we'll be talking with Jewess and Ladino songstress Sarah Aroesti. And our guest Gentile is ACLU attorney Jillian Thomas, author of a new book about uh, lawsuits that have helped uh, bring down sex discrimination or begin to bring it down. How is everyone? We good. We good? Oh, what a, it's morning in America. Look at this. Oh, Nothing but good news. End times. It's the end times. Here. I was in St. Paul, Minnesota, where everything's always... Fine. Super nice. And uh, I, was, I was meeting my new nephew, Isaac, who's three months old, my brother Jonathan's son, Isaac Oppenheimer. And that, the first Oppenheimer to come to these shores was, in fact, an Isaac Oppenheimer. Wow. And now there's another one. And now the, the and last the one Oppenheimer to leave <laughs> these shores after President Trump is elected will also be an Isaac Oppenheimer. The nice it's thing lovely about, how these things happen. The nice thing about being in Minnesota is you could just get on a little, a little you know, dinghy and row yourself to Canada. It's really... You know, it's an easier process than it is Speaking for us. Speaking of departing Oppenheimers, I understand your daughter is making uh, Aaliyah plans in case the Donald ascent. Right. So my view of the Donald ascent is I stay no matter what. Okay, I'm an American. I'm rooted here. I'll be the last one to go down. Okay, I'll be I'll be dragged to the gulag. You know, uh, saying with Shema on my lips. But Rebecca Oppenheimer, <laughs> age nine. But right, but right. Rebecca, age nine. So my wife Sid said we're we're going to Canada if this happens, and I pointed out that Canada doesn't have to take us. Canada actually has an immigration process, whereas Israel, like, uh, <laughs> you know, Israel screwed. It's literally, give me your tired. Your, yes, we yeah. literally gave it the office. Give and us, re- you're tired. You're poor. You're Oppenheimers. You're re- LL Bean clad <laughs> New Haven. Refugees. Says you. Says you. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like. Plaid happened. And Rebecca, age nine, said, we're going to Israel. Rebecca is psyched for the Trump presidency that will force us into exile. <laughs> She's in a very strong Zionist face. She wants to go learn Hebrew. She starts telling Sid about, Mom, the beaches in Tel Aviv are amazing. <laughs> She's going to march in the gay pride parade. She could not be more excited. So she's a pinkwasher. She's, she's basically excited to go dress in rainbow flags and parade down the streets of Tel Aviv for four years and come back tan and fluent and ready to star in Superman versus Batman 5. Where are you guys going if Trump becomes pre- president? I'm like going to go back to Poland, I think. I'm going to go <laughs> kick it way old school. I think I can get my passport back. Like, Get your great-grandparents' old house. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. been I've been there. There's a not nice man who lives there. Did you um, knock on the door? Uh, yes, with, with a Polish translator. And awkward. Real <laughs> awkward. Real awkward. Um, he was not happy to see us. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over. Everything. A little news of the Jews. Israeli actress Gal Gadot made a splash this week. Uh, she's playing Wonder Woman in the new Batman versus Superman, which opens on Friday. She went on Jimmy Kimmel's late night show and had had a little fun banter with him. I have to say, I've seen the movie. I know how seriously comic book nerds take this kind of stuff because I am one of them. Really? Yes. What do you think about my breast? Um, what? <laughs> As the Comics Challenge member of this panel, I have to ask... Who is Gal Gadot and why is everyone saying that she's so awesome? 
Stephanie Budnick, do I'll you, you want to start here? Gal Gadot is an Israeli model and actress. Um, she's no Bar Raphaeli, but she's she's up there. She's um, a spokesmodel, as they no, used to say on Star well, Search. Um, she was like Miss Israel several times. Yeah, she's, she's anti Bar Raphaeli. Yeah, she she's, kicks ass. Yeah, she's, she's really awesome. cool. And she had a role in The Fast and the Furious, R.I.P. Paul Walker. Um, she All had, seven she, Fasts and Furious? Since 2009, I think, I think she's been in. Yeah. So that was sort of her big breakout in America. And then she got cast as Wonder Woman. And that just, like, blew the minds of, I think, like, young Israeli kids and also, like, comic nerds. Like, this, like, good Venn diagram of, like, Liel is actually in the middle of it. I'm um, actually it. <laughs> 17-year-old me is so excited right but now. But so what she did, and first of all, in that interview, she says, they ask her what Godot means. Um, and she was, she was like, you know, it used to be Greenstein, but that my parents changed it. And he's like, oh, to make it sound more in, like... There was like this weird like lack of cultural understanding where right. she was basically saying like to right. make it more sobra. Jimmy Kimmel, for for all his experience, uh, you know, having sex in, with Sarah in, Silverman, in and out of Jews, uh, has really not gotten the memo about our cultural affinity. Jimmy Kimmel, of all of the Goyesh late night talk show hosts who are quasi Jewish but actually not Jewish, like Seth Meyer, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, Fallon. Even all David of them, Letterman, all of them sort of you know at times people have thought they're Jews. They kind of could pass, but they're not. No, Kimmel, Kimmel is, not. is the most Goyesh. He's yeah. the least. Jews. I love him. But like he them. learned. No wonder they broke up. Like he learned nothing about our people. He did like and six if you years Sarah with Sarah Silverman. A... You're basically like yeah. a rabbi at that right. point. Like she is our representation <laughs> of American Jewry. Three at this years point. into their relationship with Sarah Silverman, Susan Silverman comes in the sister. <laughs> you just get a right. yarmulke and a talis, and you could go to whatever. But the minion best part you want. about this clip is he's trying to bring up the fact that. This had to be explained to me because I didn't really understand. Comic book nerds are like mad that she's not as busty as the old school Wonder Woman. And so what she does, she basically is like, he says, you know, oh, oh, you know, people get mad. Like the comic book fans get really angry if things aren't like exactly correct. And she's like, you talking about my boobs? <laughs> yeah. and, and he was. Like, like a boss. He wanted to have like the punchline. Yeah. Yeah. And he, she threw him off so seriously. It was amazing. She basically, he just didn't even know what she to do. She basically Krav Maga'd him to and the And it was ground. like this Israeli bluntness. And speaking of super hot Jews, we have another Jewish Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. There's so much to say about Uncle Merrick. First of all, he is a dead ringer for my Uncle Dave Schreiber from Pittsburgh. Second, he would be, if confirmed, which is a massive if, the fourth Jewish justice, along we'll, with we'll do our best to, justices uh, curtail that. Kagan, Breyer, and Notorious Ginsburg. Um, so we'd have swapped Scalia for for Merrick Garland, which is a strong swap from a world domination point of view. I'm still dealing with the fact that someone named Merrick Garland is Jewish. Right. So that's the big quest. That's the, the big I'm reeling. matzo ball in the room. And we published an amazing piece in Tablet by David Margolik uh, about like how, how do you get named Merrick Garland if you're Jewish? And he had this friend who traced... The Garland. It was like a really long day in his friend's life. Right. His friend (laughs) really nuts. His friend has a trust fund and a lot of free time because his friend traced this all the way back. He found out that Merrick's great great grandfather from Latvia was Lieb Yitzchak Garfinkel, hence the Garland. This still leaves open the question, the great unanswered question in American in the American Jewish scene right now is how do you end up with a first name like Merrick? And I never thought of that as one of those crypto waspy names like Yale. Well, like Sloane Crosley, our Slo- girl. Exactly. Sloane Crosley. My college friend, Blake Lindsley. Like that sort of move. Merrick? What the heck? So so we need an algorithm. We need an saying. algorithm. So we thought, we all here thought a we'd- A fake goyish name generator. We thought that we need a waspy name generator. And we, we each, without consulting each other, came up with how we would do that algorithm. Liel? Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think the formula is very simple. It's- a thing that Jews will never buy, 
combined with a place that Jews would never visit. So <laughs> okay. an economy car and a big tall mountain. So Ford McKinley. Ooh. Or a really cheap <laughs> razor combined with a popular camping outdoor site. So Bic Yellowstone. I think that's a great formula. You know? Yeah. Mine is more simple. It's your first pet's name and the street you grew up on. So I, I really like mine. Isn't that your porn name? Isn't that one's porn name? No, I don't think your pet is involved, is it? No. No, your street you grew up on just, is the, Yeah. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, mine, really, mine is Reginald Vista. Ooh. Look at that. Oh, that is strong. My first dog's actual real name was Dave Bob's Lord Reginald. Okay. He was a show dog. We call him Reggie. Do you want to hear my fake yeah. wasp name generator? Okay. First name, you just go to the social security database of most popular names of the 1940s and pick anything. So if you're a woman, you would start with Mary or Linda or Barbara or Patricia. And if you're a male, you'd James, Robert or John. You go farther down the list, it gets really interesting in like the 50s where the women are Lois and Connie and Elaine and Cheryl. Cheryl. Great I feel Boston. Cheryl is I know a, a lot really of Cheryl's. Jewy name. I, not, my I, my mom Cheryl. has like six friends named Cheryl. I'm, and then, I'm Cheryl with the uh, sound of Bispo Hadassah. Fine. Geraldine or Wanda. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Geraldine or Wanda. And if you're a man, you're Dale or Norman. Basically, just pick a dead English king. Right. So you know, you're George. You go to the SS, the social security database for the first name. And then for the last name, it's the dormitory of your freshman year in college. Whoa. So I would be Dale Welch. If you went to Yale, yes. No, no, no. If you went anywhere. There is no there's no college where the freshman dorm is Greenstein. I would be like Maud Blackwell. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Very good. Exactly. Like Actually, very good. Yeah. That's a good one, the yeah. dorm you were in. The That's dorm. also a good like security question. <laughs> what it is it is a good security question. So there you have it, people. Send us apply one of the algorithms and write us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com with your real name and your Airsots Waspy name. I like instead of porn names, we have wasp. We have wasp. This is our sexual fantasy. Hi, my name is My name is My name is Our guest Jew today is a Jewess. How do you feel about the term Jewess? I love it. Great. She's Sarah Aroesti. She's a singer and musician whose work draws on her family's Sephardic roots. Your mother's people hail from Macedonia and Greece. That is right. But your dad's people are just boring Ashkenazim, right? Yeah. The Silvermans? Yes. Your birth name was Sarah Silverman. Let's get this right out of here. (laughs) At what age did you realize that Sarah Silverman was taken in the celebrity world and you needed to do something different? Well, she was just starting out and she was on Saturday Night Live one night and uh, that next morning my mother got dozens of phone calls from her friends saying, oh my gosh, was Sarah on the TV last night? They thought that was you? Yep. That's showing they they didn't really remember what you looked like at all. (laughs) Exactly. And so shortly thereafter I decided to take back my mother's name. It's a very cool name. And so you are part of the Ladino Renaissance. You're, you're, you have three albums out and your fourth album, right? Children's album mm-hmm. is dropping this week? Friday. Friday. Um, so tell us about Ladino. What is it for our listeners who don't know? And what's the musical tradition? And, you know, why should we care? Well, I'm going to throw that back out to you guys. What do you think Ladino is? So I have to say, I, 
I was recently accused, correctly, I think, of being Ashka normative. Mm-hmm. You are. Um, you definitely uh, yes. are. Like, like, you are Ashka normative. And actually, you and I, Stephanie, I think we're, we're on the board of that. Yeah. Yeah. But Ashka normativity. So dot org. I, and so it, 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 it has recently occurred to me that I am so not clued into the Sephardic world in a way that, like, it's so embarrassing. Like, t- to me, it's, it's like, oh, bagels, lock, Seinfeld. That's actually not the whole of Judaism. Yeah, even in the Ashkenazi world, yeah, that's not of course. The whole but it's like, Stephanie. no, but I'm saying, like, I think I, so I actually was excited that I would learn what, like, I would actually, I understand it that it's it's mixtures of Spanish and Hebrew, I think, and some other languages that were picked up. I was hoping you would tell us in the form of a song. Well, I'm what happy I, to I, do I think so. Ladino is basically a musical movement that's attempting to revive a language that's basically dead. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think they're like, I think Ladino is like Irish, which is there are 12 real obsessives who actually speak it, who are trying to teach it to their kids, thinking Hebrew did it. And the rest is Michael Flatley in Lord of the Dance. Yeah, and the rest of it is sort sort of of... (laughs) But I mean, basically, there's like these world of languages out there that say, well, Hebrew did it. Hebrew came back from the dead. And so we can do it too. And so then you have these sad, like, Irish festivals. And I think of Ladino as having better music than that, but not actually being spoken by anyone anymore. No, it's I Esperanto's think... older, cooler sister. <laughs> I think Ladino is like Sephardic Yiddish. Just going to throw that Ooh. out there. And Ooh. that we've allowed Yiddish to perpetuate because of the... Because a lot more of us speak yeah. it. Ashkenormativity. Yes, normativity. Yeah, so exactly. you're all a little bit right. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start Sorry, off with the... the motto of the show. Just a little bit right. <laughs> a little bit right. So I'll start off with the easy part. What is Ladino in terms of the language? So, Stefan, you're actually not right that it's... Spanish and Hebrew. There is a little bit of Hebrew, but most people think that it's a lot of Hebrew. And actually, the Hebrew part of Ladino was really only spoken in the synagogue, but everyday spoken Ladino actually had very little Hebrew. So at its core, Ladino is 15th century Castilian Spanish. It's the Spanish that everybody was speaking in Spain prior to 1492, Jews, Christians, Muslims. In 1492, Columbus... Sail the ocean blue. Right. And what else happened? Jews kicked out of Spain. Nothing else <laughs> happened. <laughs> Everything was fine. We lots of, come back lots of Gentiles got nice new houses that had exactly. mysteriously that, been that, abandoned. That bitch Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> so when Jews left Spain, they took with them the Spanish they had been speaking, and they combined it with bits and pieces of languages of all the countries where they later settled. So my family ended up in the Ottoman Empire. So there's a pretty large distance between Spain and, let's say, Macedonia. So along the way, they picked up bits and pieces, let's say, of... Portuguese, Italian, French, Greek, Turkish, Arabic, and yes, a little bit of Hebrew. So it's really a pan-Mediterranean language. It's the only one that I know of, and it is just this beautiful hidden treasure that so few people right. know about. This is a this is a perfect opportunity to to ask for you to actually say something s- in speak Ladino. it, but but preferably sing it. Before you said you didn't yeah. grow up speaking it, right? You grew up speaking New Jersey, right? I'd like to think I don't have a New Jersey accent no, because I'm, I'm from that... Princeton. Princeton is like its own municipality <laughs> oh, in the center Princeton, of New Jersey. I'm from Princeton, But first, do you speak it? So I tell people I sing it fluently, meaning that I didn't grow up <laughs> speaking okay. it because what is really sad. Well, there are people, plenty of people who do still speak it. But what is true, sadly, is that no one will be born speaking Ladino as a first 
language anymore. And the reasons are, are very sad. Proportionally, our numbers are just much smaller now. The reason why Yiddish has had such a wonderful revival is that there are lots of Ashkenazim out there who not necessarily speak Yiddish or want to speak Yiddish, but at least their numbers are high up that there is enough interest out there. But proportionally, the Sephardic population, especially after World War II, was just drastically eliminated. Um, most people don't think of Greece when they think of World War II, but actually Greece had the highest percentage of Jews murdered than any other country in Europe. It was over 87% of the Jewish population. So you lose, obviously, so much culture, including including the language. So it's, it's, it's tragic. And, you know, most people have heard of Yiddish, whether you're Jewish or not, but no one has heard of Ladino. But guess what, guys? A very, very little-known actor, Tom Hanks, has actually starred in a motion picture in Ladino. I didn't okay, know let, that. Let's, let's let that what? sink in for That's a minute. That's why Forrest Gump was you so <laughs> funny. 1986, every time we say goodbye, it's a terrible movie. Don't run out and see it. But Tom Hanks plays a wounded soldier who's recuperating in Jerusalem. And he falls in love with a beautiful Sephardic girl. Played by Kelly McGillis or... Of course. <laughs> by, by who? By someone like that, right? And she only speaks Diane Ladino. Lane. It was Diane Lane. It was Diane Lane. Her family forbids her to date poor Tom Hanks because he doesn't speak Ladino. The entire premise of the movie is about the importance of the cultural preservation of Ladino. All right. So sing us something. Okay. Um, well, y- y- we, we were talking about uh, menstruation songs earlier. Sing us a menstruation song. <laughs> why, why won't you? Well, um, this is just a line from a song that back in the day, uh, several hundred years ago, when a woman was finished with her cycle and she emerged from the mikvah, her husband would give her what is called a matika de ruda, which is like a sprig of rue, which would indicate if she took it, that she was ready to resume marital relations. And in one song... You caught me a little bit off guard, so I might not remember all the lyrics, but I'll sing a, I'll sing a verse. We would never <laughs> know. <laughs> Just fake it. You could just click your tongue and say whatever you want. We would um, be none the wiser. Th- there's a girl who is not yet married, and she comes home with a sprig of rue. <gasps> so the mother says to her, you whore, watch out. You're going- I see Tom Hanks was here. <laughs> no relations with that man, I tell you. And she says, you know what, Mom? You're wrong. A young lover is better than a husband because a young lover tastes like a sweet lemon. I don't really know what that means, but this is what it sounds like. You've just given Mark something to think about on the train. Yeah. Okay, let's see if I remember. Una matica de ruda Unamatica de flor Isha mia, mi querida Dime a mi quien te la dio Dime a mi quien te la dio That would be like a... Yeah, right. That's like a very traditional, traditional Latino bit, but my stuff is not like that at all. My my normal stuff is is does not sound like that. 
Right. So is your new album the only Ladino children's album that you know of? I mean, are there others? Or in history. Yeah, there yeah, are sorry. no others. Okay. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Like you've just invented the genre of Ladino children's albums? Yeah. Yeah. Give us just a little bit of one of the songs. Sure. I... Yeah. Oh, the uke is coming out. So this is a song about learning different members of your family. Um, but So I'm just going to do one verse, which is just about um, learning... Just daughter, son, child. And then I'm going to have you guys sing along. Yo means I. Tu means you. And then we'll come to mozotros, which is all together we. Okay, but I'll, I'll, I'll guide you. Okay. Okay, here we okay. go. Okay. <laughs> Te quiero bien, sos mi querida. Te quiero bien, sos mi querida. Te quiero bien, sos mi querida. Y chica. Te quiero bien, sos mi querido. Te quiero bien, sos mi querido. Te quiero bien, sos mi querido. Y chica. Okay, now it's your turn. We're gonna do yo. And then we're gonna move to two. Just follow me. Ready? But okay. I need to. I need to hear you guys. This okay. is the point. Okay. Okay. So yo, I. Yo 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 Now it gets hard. We're gonna do mozotros, 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 mozotros. Yay! You guys just sang Ladino. Right. And to our listeners, we are so sorry. Uh, of the four people you've just heard, one was very talented and could sing, and three were tragic. Mm. The website is Sarah Arosti. Dot Ladino. Yeah. And can dot... I just leave you with one last thought? Yeah. So a lot of people think that Ladino is dead or at least dying. And it's really not. There are plenty of people who do speak it. And I know we joked about it earlier, but it really isn't dead. And there might only be 12 of us working in this genre, but the 12 of us are working really hard. And I would say that just because we're low on numbers does not mean that we're low in importance and Ladino is such a hugely important part of Jewish history and you really cannot be a good Jew. You cannot be a good lox eating bagel eating Jew without knowing something about Sephardic culture. It makes up such an important part of your history. In your face Yiddish. Yeah. yeah. SarahAroeste.com. A-R-O-E-S-T-E, right? Correct. Right. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank good luck you. with the album. There are chances to see us. April 3rd and 4th, Liel will be at Brandeis University for a conference on Israel and the media. 
everyone's going to be there. Gary Rosenblatt, the editor of The Jewish Week, Jane Eisner, the editor of The Forward, Jody Rudoran, the former Jerusalem bureau chief of The Times. If you want to go yell at the media for their Israel coverage, this no, is... No, that's my job. <laughs> but you're part of... They might want to yell at you, too. Well, I'm going to yell at them, and then they could, you know, but yell, I'm at, just yell saying, at me. But I'm just saying, the point is... if. This like is a the, human centipede of outrage. <laughs> this is there's going to be a lot of outrage in Waltham. So that's April third and fourth. April seventh, we will all be at the Oshman Family JCC in Palo Alto doing a live to tape version of Unorthodox. April nineteenth, I'll be at Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts. May sixteenth, we'll all be at American Hebrew Academy in North Carolina. And Stephanie, feeling um, left out, I'm not left out, is accepting invitations to bat mitzvahs in the tri-state area. I got events coming up. They're just not for not for another few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get started in May. Your season starts up in May. You're sort of a Memorial Day to Labor Day. Yeah, exactly. I wear white to every event. Yeah. Um, Issue two of the print magazine is coming this week. If you want to subscribe, text tablet to 66866, palindromically, 66866, or go to tabletmag.com. Our guest Gentile this morning is Jillian Thomas, author of Because of Sex, One Law, Ten Cases, and Fifty Years That Changed American Women's Lives at Work. It's a really dainty subtitle you have there that just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer to just call it Because of Sex. I'm also hoping to get some people inadvertently purchasing it, I thinking see. it's about something I else. Yeah. Basically, let's sell it as cheesecake literature to unsuspecting well, no, that's an amazing perbs, title. drunk it, men. It answers so many questions. Like, hey, how, how did you come about? Eh, you know. Because of sex. <laughs> when not writing... We're not writing soft porn novels. <laughs> Jillian is a senior staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union. Are there junior staff attorneys? There are just plain staff vanilla attorneys. staff attorneys, yes. And when you go senior, does that bring a raise? Does it bring a corner office? You know, I started out as a senior staff attorney. Oh, I definitely do not have a corner office. In fact, I have an interior office. Uh-huh. I, am, I am sans windows. Yeah, I'm sorry. What do you imagine the ACLU yeah. to be? <laughs> That's like what you don't want the ACLU to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so the the new book, which is about, um, well, I could sum up the new book. Why don't you sum up the new book? <laughs> I mean, it's about the sixty four Civil Rights Act, basically, and what that what that did for women. But right. do you want to give a richer description of it? Sure. Well, most people are aware of the nineteen sixty four Civil Rights Act and what it did. Its culmination out of the civil rights movement for African Americans and what it did for African Americans in all aspects of life, from um, public accommodation to employment. But what a lot of people aren't aware of, and was part of the reason I wanted to write the book, is that Title Seven includes uh, a prohibition on sex discrimination, and specifically, it says discrimination because of sex shall be illegal, and hence the the title. Um, and as an employment lawyer, I use that provision of Title VII all the time in my work. Um, it prohibits, even though it's a very simple, not very descriptive phrase, it covers all manner of what we think of today as women's rights at work. Um, everything from sexual harassment to pregnancy discrimination, even though none of that was in the actual statute itself. So I wanted to look at the cases that got us from there to here. So yeah. on a scale of one to 10, you know, uh, I'll use very technical terms. How fucked are we at the moment? <laughs> at the moment, in comparison to what? Uh, well, till then, we're to, much to better. Then, how, uh, the better. progress is, you know, uh, some, uh, but certainly not all. So is 10, just to, just to understand your scale, is 10 we're not fucked? And zero well, is... One, no, one, zero we're one, fucked. One is normal, 10 is Trump's America. Let's put it like that. Okay, so ten's bad. Oh, ten's really ten, bad. Ten is really bad. So, and so one is. Have we come a long Women way make a hundred cents on the dollar. Right. And... There we go. <laughs> Crazy <laughs> fantasies like that. Okay. Equal pay for equal. Work. You know, right. like fiction. So one, yeah, one, yeah. Is, one is the fantasy land of unicorns and equal pay. Right. So, yes. um, I mean, I think, 
I think we're at a five. And by that, I mean that we the most overt kinds of discrimination, except in certain industries. And I have worked with folks in construction and law enforcement, and it might as well be 1964 for some of them. But overall, uh, we all know now you can't say only men can apply for this job or I'm going to pay you less because you're a woman um, or, uh, you know, I'm going to chase you around the desk all day and there's nothing you can do about it. So there's there's a an infrastructure now that exists to and, and a recognition now of certain norms um, and an infrastructure to address when those norms have been violated. So so the book covers um, I mean, I really think that the book kind of falls into three different themes about how women have advanced as women in our culture, but through the workplace. And the first is just the sort of idea of physical difference and innate difference, that the idea that women don't want to do certain kind of work and can't do certain kind of work. The law got rid of that as a presumption that's okay. Um, and then secondly, the barriers posed by motherhood and pregnancy, the assumption that women are mothers first and workers second. I think while that bias um, just like the first bias I mentioned, persists more subtly, it's certainly not um, legal any longer to not hire someone because she's a mother. That's the first case in the book. Um, and then the last thing is sexual harassment, which is um, um, such a pernicious force still for women, but it didn't even have a name um, back in 1964. Um, it didn't. It was considered that's just the way things are. That's the way men are. It was just one stay at the office. Right, right. Um, and, you know, there were some women who, I mean, look at Helen Gurley Brown, and, you know, there were lots of women who tried to, in the absence of very few other avenues to um, advancement, tried to use that to their advantage. And you, you saw that as sort of a, you know, kind of twisted view of feminism that, um, that came forward as, as the one way to assert yourself. So I'm one of these women who have undoubtedly benefited from this, but to be honest, had no idea that this was part. I mean, I didn't know, and that's embarrassing. I'm admitting it. You got a huge it. ping job at a fancy <laughs> Jewish nonprofit. <laughs> non-profit. No, I'm just saying. Website. I think a lot of um, women who are entering the workforce don't realize the. I mean, it's sort of similar. I mean, we've talked about like uh, reproductive rights. Like younger women don't understand right. the whole the whole history behind it. Right. I was sort of surprised that adding sex to the the civil rights law. I mean, that was sort of almost a last minute thing that was just like thrown in. Mm-hmm. How did that? Can you sort of tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, well, as has been documented in a couple of different books, the whole road to passing the 1964 Civil Rights Act was a sort of massive undertaking of lots of um, different legislative forces and action by President Kennedy and then President Johnson. And um, it was always seen as a race statute. Um, And then you had um, some women's activists coming forward in the process of the bill being turned into law who started agitating and saying, and to a certain extent, um, to a large extent, their motivations were not 100% pure. Um, And you had some women's activists, white women, um, claiming, well, if we're going to have a race bill, um, then we're risking having African-American women protected based on their race, while white women have no protection in the workplace. And black women are going to be favored for jobs and so forth. And so there started to be some pressure applied on um, this uh, representative from Virginia named Howard Smith, 
who was um, 80 years old and a virulent um, segregationist and opposed the Civil Rights Act altogether. Um, and popular history has it that he added it to he added the Sex Amendment just two days before the full floor vote on on Title VII. Um, that he added it as a joke or he added it as a way of scuttling the bill. <laughs> Um, a poison pill, you know, it, it, people hey, might... Skippy, you know, it'd be really the, funny if we pretended women were people, too. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that people were willing, you know... in Let's the protect ap- plants right. and bugs and right, right. pass that bill. Crazy. And in fact, when he introduced it, there was loud guffawing in the House chamber and people, um, you know, thinking it was hysterical. Anyway, so it... it um, but it really, there was a long history throughout the first half of the 20th century to enact um, uh, anti-discrimination measures for for women at work. The Equal Pay Act had just been enacted in 1963. And it was really the opposition from women to the extent there was any came from this isn't the time women's issues are so uh, thorny and naughty that we need them dealt with in a different piece of legislation. So So I want to ask a a slightly, you know, uh, less polite I think, version of Stephanie's question. As a historian of this and as, you know, ACLU lawyer, when you look at some young women today who... Yeah, like, look at me and, yeah, like, clearly don't hate that I don't know this. Fail to recognize it, but also kind of treat this really kind of, you know, cavalierly, like, oh, maybe we want a career, maybe we don't. Maybe sort Bernie of... could be president. Do, do you feel... Who needs Hillary? <laughs> Free college. Do, do, you feel, right. do you feel real contempt for, for some <laughs> young women today? I mean this. First of all, we should say Jillian's not that old. And I don't know how old she is, but it's not like... Well, no, but look, there is a definite Do pensioners like you. (laughs) Jillian, how old are you? I'm 47. Yeah, I mean, come on. She's like six years The women like you who fought the uh, (laughs) Civil War. That's that's right. Exactly. Um, uh, No, but I consider myself sort of at the tail end of second wave feminism. So I'm one of the crotchety women saying, what do you mean you don't want Hillary to be president? So I, 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 I fall into that. My question's been answered? Yeah, I okay. fall into that <laughs> stereotype. Um, so you do hate the young enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 contempt is a very strong word. Um, I would say it's more like they haven't been taught. And it's not like I ever learned this in high school. And I never learned this in college. I didn't take a women's studies class in college. I didn't get into feminism until after college and going to law school. So it's not part of our popular culture, and it should be. I mean, that's that's that was my hope with this book. And frankly, I've spoken to a lot of women of my age and of a certain age, um, a good deal older than I, who didn't know the specifics either. You know, they lived through it, but they didn't know exactly where the changes were coming from, who were the individual women who were actually taking the cases to court. So I think I, I view it as a as a public service to anybody who's looking to learn about American history. I once worked in a workplace with a, a good number of men who had immigrated from a part of the world where feminism has not made quite the strides that it has in the not, United not States. Be, not to be not to be mentioned by name. Some of the West. Yeah. And those men often called uh, female workers who were from their extended communities back home by they call them dear, lovely, beautiful. There was a lot of, hey, beautiful. The women didn't seem upset about it, but I thought, well, this is not good work. And in some cases, it was 20-year-old woman being called beautiful come here by 45-year-old or 50-year-old man. And when I complained once, I was told, you know, well, that's our culture. I I wonder if that is a problem that people who do employment law think about, which is that when you're dealing with, let's say, small businesses in immigrant communities where feminism just doesn't have that kind of footprint, that they see it as a kind of cultural imperialism to come in and say, you can't use the terms you want. 
Right, and that you're suggesting some false consciousness to the women who are in that environment who haven't spoken right. up about it. Um, I, I, I certainly think cultural sensitivity is important, but I think um, in approaching those issues, and it does, it does come up actually in a in a not. You seem. I was getting from your question sort of the suggestion of maybe a, a smaller, more low wage environment, but there actually was a a case that was filed. This was actually a summer school on a prep school campus. Oh, interesting. Uh, this was not. I mean, it was low wage, but it's very high status. Right, right, right. Interesting. Because there was just a case that was filed last week um, against, uh, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name now, um, but against one of the world's most prestigious ad agencies. And it's um, the head of the entire ad agency is Spanish. And um, he, it's a just uh, really explosive allegations about constantly joking about rape and about rape being a compliment uh, and that kind of thing. Um, sexual conduct in general being a compliment. You know, I want to rape you being a compliment. So, um, I mean, my, my feeling is that regardless of what culture you live in outside of work, that at work, that we have different norms um, that and, and ways of achieving equality and um, and a mandate to have equality. And I, I don't think a workplace where all the women are called beautiful is a workplace where they're seen as more than you know, the, a pretty face. So what about when Trump called the Washington Post reporter beautiful like yesterday? Oh, oh my God. I, I mean, if, if a yeah. nominee from a major party for president can do it, I just don't see um, who you are to say you that. Know, <laughs> I, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. But, you know, I just really quickly, you know, culture is also a broad term. I, I As I, I mentioned earlier, I have worked with women who were entering these all-male fields, and it might as well be a foreign country in terms of the norms of no one ever uses an actual bathroom. They just, you know, go to the bathroom on a job site if they're a construction worker or porn is everywhere or women are talked about as sexual objects or sexual exploits are talked about all the time. And it, there, there is a process of acculturation like there are just certain norms we're not going to allow here. Now, that does sometimes put me at odds um, with, you know, the ACLU does have complicated positions about um, harassment and free speech and that intersection. But speaking for myself um, and speaking for, you know, the effect that I've seen on women going into those environments, it's not a culture that is doing them any favors. Um, so, you know, uh, first of all, thank you for stepping into this room full of, of Hebrews. Um, my pleasure. I don't, swarthy dark. This swarthy dark yeah. room. Um, I will tell you, I told a, a former boss, actually, that I was going to be the designated Gentile in the show, and he wrote me an email back, wait, you're not Jewish? <laughs> so, <laughs> Mazel tov. That's yes. beautiful. That, that's a compliment. It, yes. <laughs> yes. It would have been a Shonda if it, he had said otherwise. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Whoa. So did you so you sent in a couple questions that that um, uh, for this panel of Jewish experts. One of them was about shadels, was about wigs. What is it that we can tell you? What's your curiosity about them? Well, I I, I understand the head covering uh, per se, why are they so ugly? Mm. First of all, it's anti-Semitic to say that. So I know. We're going, we're no, but use... she's Jewish. It's fine. Oh, that's Her right. Okay. Think she's Jewish. That's I know. Right. I know it's totally politically incorrect, but I thought I was in a safe space here so that I well, could ask it. You'll see if our thousands of listeners feel that their oh. driveways are safe spaces as you <laughs> insult them in their shadels. So you're, <laughs> no. you might be wanting to look for a new job. But um, no, they're hideous. It's free speech. They're hideous. You're a right. truth teller. If only there is an organization to help her in a free speech case. <laughs> Why are they? Why do they always have that? Why is so What's, I, what's I up actually, with the Borough Park bowl cut on the wigs? First of all, it took me a really long time after moving to New York like w to figure out. For, like I would see this 
type of look and I'd be like, it, it, I just didn't realize for a long time there were wigs. I think I'm like slow on the uptake. You but thought maybe actually... it was this exceptionally cool. It was so square. It was hip. Like bangs. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> like the Zooey Deschanel bangs. Yeah. But I actually think there is a class of people who wear like beautiful shadles, like thousands oh, and thousand yeah. dollar wigs that you actually you can't You don't spot tell. those. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. yeah they're yeah, not think... at the Atlantic Avenue subway. Yeah. No. no. I think or that the there's Target. within yeah. the wig wearing, basically within that ecosystem, there's like you get the fancy ones and then some people have to just you know some people just don't really can't and don't care you know there's like this whole thing happening socially and culturally if, but if I, your yeah. hair is hot you know you've arrived well see that's the thing is that I, I thought the whole idea is you know hair is the is the essence of a woman's sexuality and beauty and so we're going to cover it and i wondered if maybe covering it with something really unattractive was even more part of oh, the right so uh, there's yes, a but that but this is a religion of argumentation <laughs> shortcuts and you know <laughs> solutions and so yes you're correct in in you know in uh, letter but in spirit you do see all these women of you know often of means uh, often of, of fashion sensibility wear something that is about a thousand times more attractive than anything natural could ever look and that cost right. them tens of thousands exactly. of dollars you're the, raising an ir- a thorny irony this is where the laws of modesty sort of like gnaw at me because it's like women are so sexual like you can't have to cover your hair it's just crazy it just become it sexualizes women I think to say that like their hair will just drive men crazy we have to cover right. it Okay. We're going to get mail on this that's going to yeah. correct us, and then we're going to, because we're you're gonna now- We're going to send it to the ACLU. Invariably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jillian Thomas, the the book is because of sex. Um, the film rights have been sold, yes. <laughs> From your lips to God's ears. Um, I mean, he's listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any show, he's listening to. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, who has a mazel tov this week? Liel? I'll go first. Okay. Um, I would like to congratulate and thank the editors of this here tablet magazine for this week writing an exceptionally strong and eloquent editorial that called not only on a massive walkout from the Trump appearance at APAC, but also pointed out that APAC has become a completely untenable organization that does not speak for us and no longer has any viable part in American Jewish communal life. Mazel tov, tablet. Mazel tov, tablet. Stephanie. Well, I have a correction. Last top week, that, Stephanie. I know, I'm not going to top that, but I have a correction because last week I said my Aunt Stacy lived in Weston when we were talking about the Newton basketball. She actually lives has lived in Newton for the past four years. So I I'm, I stand corrected. Um, I also have a pledge. I want to become less Ashkenormative. That's my goal for fifty-seven, seventy-six, the second half. I'll join you right. on that. Right? One. Like, yeah. I feel like such a like we could an, all take the pledge. Like we're so obnoxious. Take yeah. the pledge. Um, we're, we're really horrible. Or is it a plunge? We want to be more like intersectional about Judaism. We do. Um, I in place of a Mazel Tov, since we're all going a little bit off script, I have a thank you. Um, so my daughter Ellie, my seven-year-old, had run out of. Uh, Babysitter Club's books. She she read all the ones in our library and the next library, and there are like a hundred of them. And she'd read the thirty that we could get. And um, and I went on Facebook and said, "Can somebody ship me some? You know, who has them?" Right? Lisa would have done that oh, overnight. I could have asked Lisa. Yes, wife. you could have. Um, but Rebecca Einstein Shore, a Rabbi Rebecca, whom I know from Facebook as one of the rabbis who is a fan of unorthodox, so she answered and said, "I'll send you a hundred of them." 
And this box arrived yesterday. And Sid said to Ellie, why don't you open it? And Ellie basically, this box opened, and she just took out these baby circles and like threw them in the air. And then she climbed in the box to be close to the rest of them. And it was the sweetest thing ever. She was basically ever. like Scrooge McDuck jumping like, into a pile of money. That's the swimming best, in. the best unboxing <laughs> video the, that's ever it existed. It was the best thing ever. So thank you to, to Rabbi Einstein Shore for that. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine, which is on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week was by Rabbi Rick Brody, who has a birthday. And kosher slaughtering by APAC, who butchered something, though it's hard to say what. Our music is by Golem, but also this week by Sarah Aroesti. To get our newsletter, just shoot an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and ask for it. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.